0: Well, hello, I'm Neil Taylor.
1: And I'm Gilmar Vent, and this is the GW&Co podcast.
0: This month, we're sticking with the subject of family businesses, but this time talking to someone whose family business dates back to 1825, and he's the first guest whose real name we've been able to use. And what a name. Galahad Clark is the sixth generation of the Clark Shoes family, which any British child who's had their feet measured knows extremely well but Galahad has started his own rival business. We'll be talking about why, if family businesses can grow up without selling out, and what Wu-Tang Clan have got to do with the story.
1: And he's a man who says the last thing the world needs is more brands. So we'll also be talking about, guess what, branding. So Galahad, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you, happy to be here. You're the first Galahad
0: that I've ever interviewed.
2: Well, I've only ever met one, and that was a dog at a wedding, so um, (laughs) hopefully I'll make a little bit more sense than that one.
0: I mean, I do sort of have to ask about the name.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the sad but true story is my father's called Lancelot, and so that's how it came to be. It's not easy being as innocent and chaste as the name suggests, but, you know, I bear up. (laughs) So
0: not only were you born into a family business you were brought up in a town utterly dominated by it right
2: yeah the the town that the business was founded in you know uh, nearly 200 years ago so so yeah it was definitely a, a pretty pervasive family aura in that little village um so that which is one of the reasons i probably went to university in america subconsciously maybe
1: and that's where the wu-tang clan comes into it right
2: that's, yeah, that's, well, you know, like all middle class white boys at the time, I was into rap music and they were the most exciting group. And they were into Clark's Wallabies. And that was a shoe my father had uh, launched. And so that was my chance to shamelessly go and meet them. And I did manage to put a meeting together with the Wu Tang Clan members and Clark's USA, who promptly turned down the central collaboration but one thing led to another and i ended up trying to launch woo shoes with them um which was you know hell of an adventure but not a particularly successful business
0: so subconsciously or not you'd decided to escape the weight of this family thing had you
2: yeah, I think so. Um, I, th- I think the opportunity to leave England um, and, and that whole place that everywhere I went, people knew my name. It was a wonderful opportunity to, to go to a beautiful place. I studied in North Carolina. It was a scholarship to go there that a teacher really pushed me to to, to take, and um, I loved it. I, you know, I often wonder today why I ever left.
1: And what brought you back into the family then?
2: Well, it was... It was probably the the shoe project with Wu-Tang that gave me the shoe bug. And I think once you start designing shoes and trying to make shoes, it is a real bug. And i been always been brought up, obviously, knowing that I was part of a shoe family. And my father always said to me, look, I don't expect you to go into shoes, but you at least need to be an educated owner. So I had spent time on production lines in uh, and, and shoe factories and Pattern rooms throughout my adolescence. So I would learned about the shoe business. So I felt like I had a, a start. And did you think you would go into it? No, no, I never thought so. I, I always thought I would manage to avoid it. And I always, I think, I always had a notion as a as a teenager that I was interested to go into business and do business as a as a uh, a force for social good. Um, I remember that being, a, a, you know, a strong inclination.
0: And was there any chance of you ever going into the into Clark's itself?
2: Um, Clark's been run by outside management since the mid '90s, so for the last 25 years or so. And and why was that? Um, the business nearly well got, fell into hard times. Clark's used to make all their shoes in the UK. They had more than 30 factories. And the family who were running the business were desperately trying to keep those factories alive and as less expensive shoes came in from Asia, etc., they became less and less competitive and they were slow to move manufacturing offshore or find solutions to that challenge. Um, And so the business uh, nearly got sold and as part of... The fallout from that whole process, and it was a pretty messy process where the family were, you know, 50-50 almost divided as to whether to sell or not. Um, the, the deal was that they'd bring an outside management to massively change the business and unfortunately, you know, close down a lot of the manufacturing in the UK and change the business model basically. And it worked and Clarks have, have had, you know, uh, 20 years of fantastic results.
1: And you're, so you're, <laughs> you're having a rival shoe business now.
2: You know, we're in a completely different division to them, I, I, I would say. So It's uh, we're not you know, quite head-to-head, um, but we are selling shoes in some of the same places that they do.
0: So tell us the name and tell us the premise of the business.
2: So yeah, my business is called Vivo Barefoot, and we make shoes that ultimately allow the foot to do its natural thing. So they're Every shoe is flat and wide, with a very thin sole, that feels as close to walking barefoot as possible. And the foot, left to its own devices, is a pretty good bit of kit, and allows the body to function better left alone. And interestingly, it's also a family business. Also, yeah, my cousin is my partner. He's a creative director in the business, and very much sort of wingman in the the adventure. and my wife's involved in the business, and um, one or two other cousins now are also uh, in the business.
1: So in some ways, it's the continuation of the fa- Clark's
2: family business, you could say. Yeah, it's, uh, it is a Clark's family shoe business.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we've got lawyers pouring over the wording and these things. <laughs> so was that a conscious decision to work with family, because that's what you knew or, or was this just the unavoidable destination of fate?
2: Um, no, no, it certainly wasn't designed like that. I mean, Asher was always... I grew up next to Asher. Your cousin. My cousin. He went to design school independently, and I'd, I was already starting in the shoe business, and he was also a Wu-Tang fan, so um, those situations, as it were, brought us together, and we are both interested in sustainable design from an early Period, and he did his university projects on that. So, yeah, it became just a very natural fit that we ended up on the adventure together. We share a lot of the same values and perspectives in life and, you know, there's a lot of understanding without having to say much to each other. Because you're family? Yeah, because we we're family. We grew up in the same little village. We go surfing on the same beach family
1: businesses are often criticized for not being professional enough run by amateurs or
0: yeah that's the that's the stereotype isn't it that they're amateurs or they're some kind of crazy despotic know-it-alls who won't listen to people who've actually got real experience is that fair
2: (laughs) yeah that's absolutely fair and um (laughs) i mean there's no question that that could be leveled at um at our business and I mean I think for a number of reasons we were overconfident and amateur and you know probably slightly despotic um and there's no question that it wasn't until we really put in place s- serious professional management alongside us that the business really started to to work. I mean Vivo now is very traditionally organized where there's a there's a board there's a fantastic chairman who's a real mentor of mine and who really was instrumental in helping make the business a uh, a success that it is today. And then a professional management, um, marketing director, sales director, operations director, finance director. We run the business in a very collegiate way. They all sit on the board. Uh, Yeah, it runs like a a normal professional business, Mm -hmm. as it were. I like
1: the way you use normal. (laughs) Does (laughs) anyone else have a stake in it? Or is, does that stay in the family?
2: Yeah, the family. Asher and I own 80% of it, but um, and there's a one other large shareholder that has um, about 17%. And then we've done a crowdfunding a year ago, um, and we have 1,200 people that own the balance. Um, and that was a really good thing for us to do, and it, by opening up to the crowd, it almost. Uh, forces you to act like a mini plc almost um by making the business more public and more transparent and um it makes everybody in the business i think feel more part of it and um you know uh, i think overcomes a lot of the hurdles of uh, normally associated with small family businesses
1: mm-hmm. and w- w-
2: was there a journey that you went through to get to that point where you said yes
1: i need some support from people other than my family
2: yes um that journey involved, you know losing money and making huge mistakes and uh frankly getting into trouble and you know being a entrepreneur you you know almost need to feel a gun to the back of your head we made just the, the classic despotic mistakes and not doing the uh, you know accounting as strictly as it should have been done not doing all the supply chain systems and processes as well as they could have been done without we- being too psychological about it
0: why did you think you could do those things <laughs> i mean is some of that coming from, well, I'm the sixth generation of, you know, a shoe business. I know how to
2: do this. I think that's probably fair that there's a degree of um, of arrogance that partly bred from going to public school, which is a terrible breeding ground for being an entrepreneur, I think. They fill you with a, um, a remarkable sense of entitlement and overconfidence that, you know, uh, you can conquer the world and, and and leaves you very um un and probably over trusting and you know it's a very dog eat dogs world out there and and that combined with having an overly confident notion of how to do a shoe business um from my upbringing combined to make the perfect storm of the classic co- mistakes that overconfident entrepreneurs make in the early days
0: so the chairman that you brought in and the other professionals, and in inverted commas, that you brought in, what did they bring to it?
2: Simply just fantastic structure. Um, I think when you're building a business, you sometimes get a little bit lost with the personalities uh, around you and you start to create the organisation around personalities and lack the incredible discipline you need on a very, very regular basis. A group of smart, responsible people with clear job descriptions looking at the uh, weekly P&Ls and cash flows and getting that into the muscle memory of each other. I mean, it it's, sounds obvious to say that now, but it's surprising how few small businesses do that really well and ultimately, you know, getting the data right in a small business. And they're, they're complicated businesses because we were selling all over the world, multi-channels from different suppliers. and
1: You're not that small a business anymore.
2: Not anymore, but uh, you know that it was relatively small then. And if you're looking at bad data, you make bad decisions, and it's a bit like our shoes. If you you know get bad sensory feedback from your feet, you make bad movement decisions.
0: Nice little plug there. (laughs) See, we've done (laughs) well done. During the course of the conversation, you've said both. Well, it works like a normal business now, and fundamentally, it's a family business. So the people that you brought in, do they perceive that they're working somewhere normal or has it got something different about it?
2: No, well, I mean, normal, we strive to be an extraordinary business and, you know, a a business with values that go beyond the norm um, and a business that is doing something against conventional wisdom that has a genuine purpose and um, has ambitious exponential growth targets. So... You know, I'd like to think that the people in there are passionate about what we're trying to achieve.
1: What are your values? Have you articulated
2: them? Our, our values are um, think on your feet. We're ultimately a shoe business, and but we're a shoe business that really cares about feet. And the, the connection between your feet and your brain, mm-hmm. the second value is innovate sustainably. Mm-hmm. Um, where we aim to be um, an absolutely sort of leading, uh, sustainable business. Our definition of sustainability is allowing humans and other life to flourish on Earth. So it's ultimately about creating products that are even more barefoot and lighter and allow Um, a more natural movement sustainability is about people and people often Mm. forget that it's not just about using recycled materials but it's about people feeling more human and connecting more with nature and you know Vivo Barefoot I think uniquely does a lot lot of those things as a product uh, and hopefully a brand and then the third value is um, move more we we do we have periods where we we, we say like you know the, for the next two or three months we're going to focus on this value or mm-hmm. um, or, or, or that value we um, right we,
1: across, right
2: into all the stores and to the shop floor uh, as much as we can yeah um, it's an ongoing process and we you know getting better at it we make a conscious effort in the marketing to kind of get a cadence of the values to be sort of coming through the messaging that we're doing and the what the sort of business is standing for we we also have internal sort of promises should we say you know like uh cultural values that are internal to the business which is about being transparent about being challenging and about being enterprising and we have then awards quarterly award ceremonies to recognize people that are embodying the values or doing extraordinary things linked to the values and you yeah, know to be honest with you that it's a it's a evolving thing that you know I wouldn't say you know we're doing it hundred percent perfectly but we're striving towards it all the time
1: no it's, it's fascinating to hear you know they mean something
2: and very often when you
1: work with businesses you find they have lovely words but they don't mean much you know or they and
2: they aren't embedded in the business it sounds like in your case they are we're trying we're trying and you're always like getting culture right in a business is a, is a never-ending challenging thing
0: so this idea of being a force for good in the world even while you're doing business which you said you and your cousin both share and that you both had quite early where does that come from
2: i think i mean Clark's was one of the original social businesses in the world. The, the, it's a Quaker business, and the Quakers were absolute leaders in social movements all over the world. In terms of, well, starting with the Corn Laws and trying to repeal the Corn Laws, and um, and then all the way through uh, slavery, uh, apartheid. They're tremendous pacifists, women's rights, uh, prison. Uh, rights, um, and and, and on and on, and the Quakers, uh, when Clarks was founded, didn't go to university because they refused to make any oaths, and you had to give an oath when you went to Oxford or Cambridge or whatever, so they they had very strict principles about a low pay differential from the top paid worker to the lowest paid worker, massive reinvestment of the profits back into the community... And you know we we were brought up with that we knew that was all happening and it was tremendously inspiring and felt proud to to be part of that and always knew that as um, the heritage so there was always a, a I don't know a yearning or a, an inspiration inside to want to get back to some of that
0: so to be provocative you've ended up running a shoe business with a particular spirit which was the spirit that that clarks seemed to have had in the past are you the business that you think clarks should be now
2: <laughs> no, look we're a tiny business so it's 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 unfair to mention us in the almost in the same breath as clarks clarks is a is a massive global you know the biggest brand shoe business in the world and uh, run by very expert professional management who you know have a big challenge to Evolve that business into the into the modern world, but um, we have and we have a, yeah we have a, a wonderful opportunity to be a small business to do things the way we we want to do things and uh, beyond you know maybe the pressures of a huge business that's struggling to adapt. But would you like to be a big business with the same spirit? Yeah, of course we're trying to grow the business and yeah. Look, I mean the simple answer to your question is yes. But <laughs> right in your way. <laughs>
1: So it's interesting, a lot of what we're talking about here, values, you know, um, shared responsibility, collaborative things, these are things around which brands are built. And at the same time, you said some things quite critical of
2: brands. Are you anti-brand? No, I mean, when you go to a trade show, and I've been to too many trade shows in my life, um, and especially, say, the, the 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 fashion shoe trade shows and you just all all in one place you see thousands and thousands of shoe brands with very little to distinguish between them then you know you're left with an overwhelming sense that the last thing the world possibly needs is another bloody shoe brand
0: yeah you've created a few
2: yeah i've created yeah but then the onus is to to do something that is genuinely different and has a reason for being and you know I like to think that the brands we've created are are genuinely unique and I think you know every brand should should challenge itself to have a reason for being there's a guy called John Ehrenfeldt who's who's big inspiration for me who said that the only reason for filling the world up with more crap is if a product or a service helps humans be more human helps humans Connect more with nature and help humans ask important ethical or environmental questions. And that was quite a big steer for me and actually leading to focus on Vivo Barefoot that I felt really lived up to those values. And say we're going on
1: this journey and Vivo Barefoot is becoming a massive brand. Clearly, you would have to scale up, you would have to change some things, you would have to professionalize. How do you do that without losing what's special?
2: I, th- I, I think that's a massive challenge all the time for anything that goes from small and special to big and less special. Um, and I've never, I haven't done that journey yet, so um, I, you know, I can't answer it absolutely. When you recruit people, again, I presume your values come into play. Then, do they? I mean, this is this is actually a tension in the business probably that we have to be careful not to hire sort of uh people that are just barefoot fanatics um and you know we just hired a new finance director and you know we chose a guy that is passionate about building the best finance function in the world Mm -hmm. and and he's become i think very uh, enthusiastic about the brand but he wasn't so probably when we interviewed him um and so yeah, you need to get that right and almost make sure you hire people to do the job right but then maybe have you can see the potential that they will align
0: there are lots of football teams that won't hire fans of the team for instance to come and work in the business
2: oh yeah i didn't know that but that yeah i'm I think that's a big challenge and, you know, there's lots of books that write contradictory things about, about that.
1: I think you would want to have that alignment. It doesn't mean that they have to have equal passion. No. For the end product, it could be passion for the role. Yeah. And that's probably the right level of professionalism that you have to have in. You don't need lots more galhats. That would be impossible anyway. No, that would be a nightmare. But, but you want people who are very, very good at what they do
2: what advice would you give a young entrepreneur who's starting out now i think you know as we spoke about just now like do you genuinely have a a a reason to create a company and a brand and do you really believe in it and and are you prepared to risk everything um and and go to the absolute nth degree you know i read phil knight's autobiography recently which is an amazing reading actually probably an example of a company that you know yeah arguably lost its way and phil knight of nike of nike and 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 arguably got you know and and maybe deserved some criticism of where they lost control of their supply chain along the way but they've done you know probably more than any other business to get back control of their supply chain and, and actually really address sustainability um and you know that's a obviously a a ginormous business now but almost still a first generation business that does still have real values in that business and the ceo has started off in nike as a product designer and you know he's still very much kind of there's a you know there's a very definite exciting culture in that business that is you know actually i think quite a force for good in in our industry and does a lot to create open source platforms for the rest of the industry and set the bar very high, especially around sustainability issues. And look, I mean, one of the things he says in his book is when he gets asked the same question is, and, and, and the thing that he says about himself is just, you know, you've just got to have the kind of single-minded determination to keep going and have a clear goal and a reason to go there and believe in that enough just to when everyone tells you it's time to stop and it's not working anymore which they will many times and you know you'll face bankruptcy personal professional many times and you said you
0: said to work bankruptcy with a smile on your face
2: yeah i mean that's you've got to you got to treat it with a degree of contempt i think because
1: you mean a knowing smile <laughs> yeah maybe <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, we faced, you know, we absolutely, I mean, he faced it three or four times pretty significantly, and there's no question that we have too.
0: Suddenly also, I'm not feeling so ashamed about my shoes. I was very worried about how you were going to judge
2: me when I walked in. (laughs) What, wearing bright blue, shiny, old school Nike Harachis? That's actually where the genesis of of, um, Vivo came from, is the, it was an old, childhood friend of mine who was an engineer at the Royal College of Art and and, and an Alexander Technique um, guy and he realised through Alexander Technique that he was getting less injured when he was wearing less shoe and cut a long story short, he took a pair of Nike Hirachis and cut the sole off and then stitched on a thin um, material sole I think he used a tennis racket cover and i was already making shoes doing a little shoe business and he came to me and said this is the way shoes should be made and that was how vivo barefoot was born so you know it's a quite an appropriate choice of shoe for the, for this chat i
0: wish that had been deliberate <laughs>
1: <laughs> i'm sorry i can't live but i'm gonna to going to probably to cut the somewhere. soles off
2: before i leave <laughs>
0: finally i have to ask do you think clark's will end up being a real family business again
2: I think there's a chance. It's going through huge changes. I have a cousin who's recently been promoted into the senior management of that business who probably has a chance to go for the top job. Uh, He's a wonderful, super smart guy. The family still own it 80%. I mean, there's no question that family ownership will become more and more challenging with each generation that goes past and the necessary emotional attachment to the business becomes less and the dilution of shareholding becomes more but never say never I think that you know there's as I discussed earlier there's some very very powerful foundational um, values and culture that that business was built on and it's still in that hometown and has weathered many a storm it's got a storm to weather now but with people like my cousin actually like you know rising to the top of the business he'd be the probably the most senior man, family manager in the business for for many years and possibly one or two other members of our generation coming together there's there's no reason why um it can't go on and I know that there's a lot of people in my generation who are determined for it to remain a family business for the foreseeable future so you know, where there's a will, there's sometimes a way.
0: And just to check, your cousin for the top job, not you. Not me. Okay, now some questions that I've deliberately not warned you about, Galahad. It's a quick fire round. Okay. So I want instant, instinctive answers. And Gilmar, I'm going to get you to do this as well. Okay. So, question one. The best thing about working with your relatives?
2: Trust. Love, respect, shared values, uh, long-term ambition. Gilmar, best thing about working
1: with family businesses? What I enjoy most about it, you get the sense there's a journey and you can do
2: something for the long term.
0: Galahad, worst thing about working with your relatives?
2: You know, maybe the business becomes all-consuming, which I actually don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but obviously when things go wrong and things don't work out, then it's much harder to unpick it because your relatives are your relatives forevermore. So I think in good times it's great, and in bad times it's worse.
1: I do actually know a daughter who has fired her mother from the family business, so it does happen. Um, I find the worst thing in my experience is when it goes wrong, the micromanagement, you know, the meddling from the very top in the smallest details that can stifle a whole organisation.
0: Is that you, ahead.
2: I wouldn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Don't ask anyone I work with.
0: If you weren't doing what you do now, is there a brand that you would like to get your hands on?
2: I mean, a Paragon brand brand for me in my space is something like patagonia which is you know a family business more or less that works to to, to real values and i think is pushing the dial forward and has done inspirational industry-wide things like partnering up with big beasts like walmart to set up the sustainable apparel coalition and they recently for example did a study um on their on their fleeces and whether they were contributing to a microplastic problem which is a a big sustainable topic and they were brave enough to publish the results of the research that found out that they were and then they said we realize we've got a problem we admit it and this is what we're going to do to fix it over this period of time and you know i think that's inspirational kind of corporate behavior also very clever marketing but i think they genuinely mean it and they genuinely invest in that kind of thing so
0: it sounds like they don't need you is there a brand that you would like to tackle because (laughs) it's getting things wrong
2: all right um what do you mean apart from clark's no (laughs) No. that's a joke
0: gilmar what brand would you like to control
1: for me it's not about the brand i always find you meet somebody And you think that's an interesting person and they've got an interesting challenge. I'd like to help
2: with that. And that can be in any business.
0: Galahad, what are you most proud of?
2: I mean, from a business point of view, I'm most proud of Vivo Barefoot. I think, you know, I think Vivo Barefoot has um, a real chance to do good in the world. I'm I'm really, you know, to be honest, it wasn't my idea. I take very little credit for the corporate success, let's say, and I feel proud to have gotten to the point where I don't push too many buttons and pull too many levers and it's a sort of better business, you know, without me meddling in it than you know, than, than not, and that's you know, that feels feels great.
0: Which is often true of entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> but what is the thing that you think you gave to it?
2: No, I think, like I said earlier, I, I, I think when it looked, when it should have failed probably a couple of times and, you know, probably would have been closed down, I gave the uh, chance for it to go on um, one way or another and um, I was pig-headed enough to, 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 to keep going um, in, you know against all the odds, I guess.
0: Gilmar, what are you most proud of?
2: You said something about beliefs earlier,
1: and a lot of what we do in branding, in professionalising businesses, is giving people confidence. There are business results, there's sales, and there's all this stuff, but I find when you see the person you've been working with for a long time, it could be the CEO, it could be the global marketing director, it could be a whole team, and you see they walk out of this process and they have another spring in their step, they have a different confidence, I think that's fantastic. We worked with a financial business a few years back and i met the main guy who employed us there just recently and he said you know Gilma, after you know you've done your project with us we didn't lose a single pitch for 18 months and i thought i i didn't believe we could have had that impact but that's something to be proud of
2: yeah i think that's a great word and to be honest with you confidence is something that um is is, is very powerful in in building a brand i think and um, you know, I've lost my confidence quite a few times over the years, and struggled to, you know, often get it back. And sometimes when you, when you're frustrated with however, you know, things are going, and um, the big challenge Vivo has as a brand is to make bigger, more confident moves. And we're a little bit guilty of kind of trying to do lots of little things quite well and not confidently do less with more conviction and more confidence and so i would say like you know finding that confidence um is a is a is a key thing for for companies and brands because you know it's ultimately um it is all about doing less better
0: last question your biggest mistake
2: i've made you know so many mistakes I think back in the day I probably you know uh, too slow to get the the data and the finances right in the business I probably let that go too long and um cost people around me you know money and heartache and pain and uh too slow to probably professionalize um the, the, the business.
1: My biggest mistake, um, well, we're in a people business and usually the biggest mistakes are hanging together with the wrong people for too long <laughs> or sticking it out too long. That's what I would say.
0: Well, thank you, Galahad.
1: Next time we'll be talking to my fellow German Heinz Leopold, the man who brought Magnum ice cream into this world and also worked at the coffee giant Chibo. And we're going to be talking about what it's like to come in from the outside and try to shake up a family business.
0: Until then, if you don't know GW&Co, have a look at GilmarVent.com. The correct spelling is in the show notes, where you'll find a series of blogs about the questions we're looking at on these podcasts and more on how GW&Co can help with them. I'm Neil Taylor.
1: And I'm Gilmar Vent. And that was the GW&Co podcast.